Hey, welcome back. Well, it's been an exciting weekend. I'm recording this uh, today's podcast early, early Monday morning, and and uh, there's certainly a lot to talk about today in in regards to the gold market, the silver market, as well as the situation in Iran. And and you'd almost hesitate for like the, the fifth time in a week to to talk about Iran and and the situation with them. But I think it's so important right now. I, I don't see this as, as something that's necessarily going away anytime soon. Uh, I, I continue to believe that the strike back on, what was it now, Thursday, uh, really represents a, a new phase in this conflict with Iran, a move away from just proxy wars be- between our allies and our proxies and their allies and our proxies to potentially something that's going to eventually lead into a more and more direct confrontation between U.S. and, and Iranian forces. Now, that might not look like uh, what, what many people maybe think or envision. Uh, there's many experts that today, I mean, I think it's, it's very unlikely that we'll see a, a complete open war between the U.S. and Iran. I'm talking unrestricted airstrikes on, on their uh, um, forces within their borders and, and uh, Iranian forces launching strikes, missile strikes or, or land-based strikes or whatever, uh, naval-based strikes against our forces. I, I think it's actually maybe a little more likely than what some experts, I mean, they're saying like there's almost no chance of it, and I'd say that there's at least some chance of it still, especially with last Thursday's attack. But regardless, when I say more direct confrontation, I mean, it, it may not initially look like that. It may initially be largely uh, relegated to to outside of Iran's borders, to Iraq or U.S. bases in places like Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, uh, etc. And and of course, it's going to involve the U.S., our allies and proxies, and and of course, Iran's allies and proxies. But but again, I, I think it's something that needs to be talked about, even though uh, I think Thursday episode, prior to the attack, actually, or prior to the airstrike against uh, Qassam Soleimani, it, it was titled, you know, Will There Be War with Iran and North Korea in 2020? And then on Friday, obviously, I talked about the airstrike. On, on Saturday, I put out a podcast talking about, you know, what what happens and, and can Iran shut off the oil supply from the Middle East? And, and yesterday, I, I took a break from it, but here we are again Monday, uh, with new developments and whatnot, talking about it again. And, and we'll start off with the precious metals market. Uh, gold, you know, as I record again early, you know, we're talking 6 something a.m. Uh, Central Time here in the United States, uh, up around $1,580. And we'll talk about the, the significance of this, you know, is this what we consider a breakout? Because under normal circumstances, this can undoubtedly be regarded as, as a breakout, a major breakout. Same thing goes to some extent for silver, but for gold, uh, fifteen eighty, uh, and, and you know overnight and, and Sunday evening it, it got even higher than that. Fifteen eighty represents the highest gold has been since two thousand thirteen. You know it has now knocked out its highs of uh, fifteen in the fifteen sixty range back in in the summer of, of 2019 it's now knocked that out and now it's the highest it's been since since 2013 so again i mean kind of a key breakout under more normal circumstances silver 
last time I checked, trading around $18.40. I moved to the upside, not the highest it's been, is actually you know well over $19 uh, in 2019 during that same time period as, as gold. So not quite as high of a move for silver, but still a pretty significant move to the upside. The, the ratio has moved up a bit uh, relative to where it was in the summer during that period in time when it was closer. I think it might even dropped below 80 to one for some period of time. It's, I, I want to say in the 85 to 86 range currently. So, uh, and that's not entirely surprising, uh, you know, for geopolitical reasons uh, to see metals move up. It's not at all surprising to see gold move up a little bit more than than silver. Uh, and, and, you know, which isn't necessarily the case all the time for, for monetary reason or inflation reasons. Uh, then you might see both metals move up or even silver to outpace gold. For geopolitical concerns, I get it. I, I get the extra safety bid for gold. Now, again, is this breakout sustainable? Well, we'll see. I mean, are, are these tensions with Iran sustainable? I think it begs the question, why has it risen so much? What, what is the justification for it? As I said, it's, it's, it's a safe haven asset. It's, it's a safe haven demand that we're seeing, albeit, you know, even if it's just in the paper markets, it's, it's a safe haven buy nonetheless. Why are investors stocking up on it? What, what's, the, uh, what's the reasoning there? I mean, it's, it's obvious, you know, we can just say Iran tensions with Iran have increased to the highest they've been since, you know, the 1980s. But I think it's a little more complicated than that. I think investors are specifically hedging against something because geopolitical risk or or just simply going to war, I mean, that's at times has has caused a huge increase in, in silver and gold in the past. Other times it hasn't. You know, I'll reference, you know, the who is it that this uh, airstrike in Qassam Soleimani is being compared to in terms of, of importance of of the uh, of the target of of an alleged you know terrorist leader? Well, the the one that always gets it always gets compared to is, is of course Osama bin Laden, or at least that's been, been the case since Thursday. And and remind me for a second, what happened to the price of, of gold and especially silver when Osama bin Laden was killed? It, it, it tanked actually. You know that was around the peak in, in 2011. Uh, prior to the uh, you know the operation taking out Osama bin Laden, and so obviously you know, these are different circumstances. That felt more like an end to things. I think that's what, that's how people saw it. Unfortunately, here we are, you know, eight nine years later, still fighting these same uh, battles with with the same enemy, um, Al Qaeda. Uh, uh, this situation with Iran, if anything, this is the start of something. But I'm simply saying that geopolitical events can. Can go either way, and in some instances, not really cause much of an increase in silver and gold. But I think that you know a hedge here, a hedge play for into gold and silver, because of what's potentially going to un, unfold in the uh, Middle East, is is because of you know an expectation of if this goes into a major conflict, there's going to be spillover effects of this. Yeah, the the uh, most obvious one would be the price of oil. You know, like I talked about in my Saturday podcast, uh, Iran potentially has the means or at least can attempt to cut off a good portion of the oil supply coming out of the Middle East. Not only through the Hormuz, uh, Strait of Hormuz, which is that uh, small, small pathway out of the, the Persian Gulf where where a lot of Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and Iraq and, and even Iranian oil passes through, 
but also because of their short and and you know, medium or intermediate range uh, missiles, and and their ability to to reach out and strike locations in the Middle East that are responsible for for producing or or you know refining oil, uh, much like uh, these these somebody corrected me the other day and I think they might have been right uh, a drone strike that that was carried out in uh, what, September of this year against Saudi. Uh, oil facilities, uh, whether it's drone strikes or, or missile strikes using something like a cruise missile or, or even airstrikes, uh, Iran has, has fairly easy access to Kuwaiti, Saudi, Iraqi um, oil facilities as well as some of the other you know, smaller countries in the region. And so the most obvious thing to hedge against is, is hey, an increase in the price of, of oil. And, and an increase in the price of oil obviously would, to some extent, influence the uh, price of gold. Uh, but, but there's more to it than that. You, know, you have to wonder, what is the economic ramifications of this? Um, in short, you know, there was a, uh, I, I talked about this on, again, on Saturday, uh, a capital, I want to say it was capital economics, uh, that, that, that was the people that were putting out this prediction that that war with Iran could shave uh, a, a significant portion off of global GDP because not only of the damage to Iran's uh, economy, and their sizable economy, 80 million people, um, but also because of the damage to other Gulf nations or even uh, other countries around the world because of fear of terrorist attacks or military action or buckling down because we're in a major conflict, whatever the case might be, has it could have a significant effect on global GDP. And, and taking it a step further, you also have to wonder, you know, there's this, let's say the U.S. and, and Iran continue to ratchet up tensions into well, I'd say we're already at war. Somebody actually made the point, you know, in my podcast last week that, you know, what the U.S. was doing prior to this airstrike for several months now in terms of, of uh, economic action against Iran could be called a, a form of war. It's an economic form of economic war. And it has a very real effect and it can, uh, in very real ways, lead to, indirectly, the the deaths of, of innocent people. You know, I'm, I'm talking about the massive oil sanctions that we continue to have in place in, in Iran. Uh, that type of, of uh, conflict, let's say it continues to, to ratchet up. Gosh, I'm getting so off base here. I'm just going all over the place. <laughs> Rabbit holes left and right. But you guys are used to this, I'm sure, on my, on my podcast. But let's say tensions continue to ratchet up. Uh, there's going to be this, I think, call to... to support the U.S. government uh, here in the United States. Call it patriotism, call it your duty, whatever. And specifically what I'm talking about here is is monetary policy and how does that factor into a, a conflict, a major conflict with Iran? Well, I can tell you this much. It's going to skew the Federal Reserve to an easier form of monetary policy because uh, it, it's really bad for PR first of all, to be raising interest rates when the U.S. kind of needs you to, or, you know, in theory at least. I, I'm, I'm not, I, this is that, this is at least what, what people in the administration and, and I think much of the population that support the war will say, that in the midst of a major conflict, the last thing we need is, is for a central bank to be tightening the noose around our economy or, or tightening the belt, depending on which way you look at it. 
right? But but furthermore, I mean, there's very real considerations that, hey, if this causes a decrease in consumption or a decrease in consumer sentiment or a decrease in, in actual real GDP and economic data, then again, we don't want to be tightening the belt or tightening the noose on, on, uh, on the U.S. economy in that context. And so, I mean, that's another way to look at it, that increased tensions with Iran have a good likelihood of leading to future rate cuts, future quantitative easing, all under the guise of, well, you know, is wartime conditions, which is a crappy excuse. Uh, I, I think it's an excuse they'll use it, and it hey, maybe beats telling the truth from their perspective. But that's where we're going to head, much, much the same that, you know, for a while there when uh, relations with, with China were worsening day by day, not, not in terms of going into a total war, but I'm talking like, uh, a, a, a much broader trade war, you know, each time that would come out, traders to some extent would position themselves to, to, to the bear side in terms of stocks and bullish for precious metals because they were expecting more stimulus and, and poor economic growth. So that could be factored into this as well. So you have to ask yourself, you know, that that's probably why the hedge is on. You have to ask yourself, is that sustainable? Is this breakout sustainable? I don't see this as a de-escalating. I don't see either side reaching out and saying, let's let's de-escalate this. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure behind the scenes, the U.S. and, and Russia and other major players, they have open lines of communication. They have diplomacy and whatnot. Um, but I think... It, it, the U.S. to versus Iran level, I think that's probably not in place right now. Obviously, I'm not in the State Department and whatnot, but but I would say that is extremely unlikely, you know, with some of the recent developments. So let's talk about those recent developments over the weekend. Well, so obviously the strike was on Thursday. Uh, since then, uh, the U.S. has carried out another airstrike. Uh, again, in in or around Baghdad, it was a kill that I want to say six. Um, in important figures, I want to say in like Iraqi militia or, or Iranian proxies, you could call it, right? Six important leaders. Other than that, the U.S. hasn't militarily responded, uh, to my knowledge. I mean, it's it, more or less the ball is in their court. Um, Iran has has responded in some ways, uh, obviously through words. Uh, you know, following the, the funeral of Qassam Soleimani, they, in one of their, uh, I guess, biggest mosques or, or holiest mosques, they uh, did, undertook sort of an unprecedented act and they raised what's called the, the red flag. Some people call it the red flag of jihad. I don't know the technical name for it, but basically it's a flag that generally isn't raised. It's generally a blue flag, but the red one is raised. It has, you know, this is it dating back hundreds and hundreds of years in the history of Islam. It's something that is raised in a period when they feel their enemies have, have committed bloodshed or murder against someone and in, in, in their own ranks, I guess. And uh, that, that revenge is justified, that that flag's not going to come down until revenge is taken. Uh, the, the Iranian state media reportedly put an $80 million bounty on Trump's head. Uh, additionally, they've had some Iranian proxies, militia and whatnot, uh, lob some missiles in, in the region of, of uh, Baghdad around the U.S. Embassy, the Green Zone. Uh, no major effect yet, but of course, you know, 
like in Israel and in other similar situations, that's going to cause some level of fear, some level of, you know, whatever, uh, and rightfully so. Um, you know, other than that, I mean, it's, it's mostly been words thus far. Uh, it's mostly been going back and forth in terms of words. Uh, I guess the other thing was that Iran um, hacked, like, a, a very minor website within the U.S. government. It was, like, the, the library department or something, there, uh, some random website of theirs, and it was defaced with sort of anti-Trump uh, propaganda or whatever. And, and even that, who knows if it's just Iran or just some hackers that, that are saying that they work for Iran. But it's it, it happened, I guess. Other than that, it's mostly been words being traded back and forth. There was an attack on a uh, Kenyan uh, base uh, where the U.S. Uh, has forces uh, that resulted in the death of, of, I think, one U.S. service member as well as some uh, Department of Defense contractors, but that was carried out by uh, Al-Shabaab, which is uh, closely linked with Al-Qaeda, not really at all aligned with, with Iran, uh, if anything, more closely aligned with, with uh, I don't know, <laughs> you know, the, the places that, that Al-Qaeda historically have received support from or, or aligned with, I'm talking Saudi Arabia and, and the like. So, uh, I mean, that's it so far. We're still kind of waiting for Iran to decisively take action. And and again, I mean, it's it's just a question of, of where and, and how long are they going to wait? Is it is it in the planning phase? Are they waiting for the element of surprise? It's, it's hard to say. And, and what is it going to look like? Um, I, I wouldn't at all be surprised to see uh, some sort of an attack on, on U.S. lives or, or forces in the region. Uh, whether it be uh, a U.S. military installation um, or, or an embassy or some sort of diplomatic site like that. I, it very well could be something that relates to the oil production in the Middle East and, and the Strait of Hormuz. With that being said, though, I mean, I think there's a reason that gold is where it's at today, 1580. Silver is up significantly, and I think it's because people know that, that retaliation ultimately is is coming. It's just a matter of time and it's a matter of how. I don't think that retaliation for Iran is is somehow finished, that those missile attacks, which have been relatively minor, that that's, that that's it. Um, I Somehow I don't think that's going to, you know, maybe if we had just carried out a minor airstrike against some minor leaders or forces of theirs, maybe that would be the case. But, but given the, the, uh, the clout around Qassam Soleimani, somehow I don't think that's the case. So I guess we continue to, I think, barrel towards war. You know, it's just until one side escalates more than the other. And, and I would say even to add to that, it very well might not be Iran that escalates next. It very well could be the United States. You know, following that airstrike against, against Soleimani, we, uh, we took uh, action against some other leaders, right, like the next day. Uh, showing that we're willing to to continue to escalate. Um, Iraqi parliament over the weekend voted to expel U.S. forces from Iraq, uh, sort of taking up at least a, a bit of a movement that, that has been moving for a while now, though there's also a similar movement uh, asking for Iran and their, their proxies to also be removed from the country, and we'll see what amounts to that. But, you know, to that end, Trump basically responded no, that... Uh, the only way we're pulling out is if Iraq 
pays us some billions of dollars for for some military installations that we've built or whatever on their on their land and, and somehow I see that as unlike he basically said you know look we're, we're not going to do this unless you uh, pay us this money and and uh, if you try and kick us out anyways we're, we're going to sanction the crap out of you he said you know basically something that would exceed the sanctions that we've leveled against Iran right so so making friends for sure in the area uh, you know my perspective I, I've tried to maintain just for today's podcast so far a bit of a neutral stance reporting what's going on and reporting what I think is going to happen next uh, if you want my feelings on it you know you can reference my last three videos regarding these topics with uh, a potential war with Iran potential conflict in the Middle East and and you know ultimately my feelings on it are are not entirely patriotic <laughs> and, and I'll put it this way I am patriotic it does not present itself as some of you guys may see patriotism meaning that I'm not going to um, unceasingly support every single conflict we get into. I'm, I'm not. If we get into a conflict with Iran, that is not something that in good conscience I can support. I'm a huge patriot. You guys know what I advocate for here on this channel in terms of monetary policy, in terms of basic liberties, things like freedom of speech, Second Amendment rights, Fourth Amendment rights. I'm a huge liberty guy. And yeah, that goes against the current government, obviously, the current trend uh, in the government uh, for, for many decades now. But that doesn't make me, me unpatriotic. In fact, I think dissent can be an extremely patriotic thing. I mean, think about the many times throughout U.S. history where dissent has has ultimately battered our country whether it's civil rights or or dissent against various conflicts in the past when when that dissent actually mattered you know take for example something like the vietnam war or something like that um it's a it's it's who i am look i've never served the united states in any formal capacity I've never given an oath of service or anything like that. But even if I did, you know, I, I still feel that my feelings on this war, you know, ultimately, yeah, I, I, I'm a patriot, I guess. You know, I like the United States. I love the freedoms that we've been afforded. I do. Uh, I wish we had more, though. And, and ultimately, I think that these foreign conflicts that the U.S. has been getting into dating back to even before World War II, but, but certainly worse from World War II on and, and more recently uh, getting pretty bad, uh, dating back to even the Obama era and the Bush era, it's, uh, it, it doesn't serve to increase our liberties, our freedoms, our safety. Uh, it, it costs a lot of money. It serves to, to increase the taxes on taxpayers. You know, there's, I think this is ultimately very detrimental to the country. Right, and that's my patriotism showing through. It, it may not present itself as hoorah, rah, let's fight this war, let's let's bomb these terrorists. Let's no, I, I, that's not what I'm about. I don't honestly think that this is going to make us safer or any more free or any more prosperous. And ultimately, though I'm a patriot and though I love our country, my ultimate allegiance is not to the United States as a country, as a nation, and it, not even the values that it represents. My ultimate allegiance is to my Father in Heaven, to God. You know, that is where my allegiance is found. 
And so any support I make for government or for anything, it has to align with my support or, or my allegiance to God. You know, nothing else comes before that. Not allegiance to my family, to my church, to my loved ones, to my values. It all goes back to my allegiance to God. So if the United States does something that I feel conforms with God's values and my allegiance to God, then I have no problem throwing my support behind that. And I think there's some elements of the U.S. government, U.S. Uh, political structure, uh, the freedoms we have relative to other places in the world. I think that absolutely lines up with God's word. But there's a heck of, it that, heck of a lot that doesn't. And of course, I'm not going to support that, right? Again, I want to remind you guys, every single one of you, that dissent is very patriotic. I don't care how many subscribers I'm going to lose because of that. Honestly, I don't care. Um, you and I don't see eye to eye, right? Uh, I think there's maybe a type of dissent that can be unpatriotic, certainly. Um, but, but ultimately, no. I'm, what, what I my, Again, my allegiance is to God. I love this country and whatnot. But there's a lot that I don't like about it. And I'm not going to sit by idly and, and just let it happen or, or, or full-on support it just because I think that I need to, you know, that, that that's what patriotism is. That, that, that's a huge lie that we're told today, that patriotism is supporting things blindly. Um, so you guys know I'm not a liberal, you know, don't take this as some sort of an anti-Trump message. I, I'm, I'm more than anything else probably a, a libertarian when we're talking politically, uh, political spectrum. Libertarian, uh, meaning not really a fan, generally a foreign conflict. Obviously, circumstances matter, and, and that's really what I'm taking into account going into this uh, conflict with Iran. So, so that's where I'm coming from. Uh, if you notice some background noise, I'll fill you guys in on that. It's not that my mic is terrible. My mic's actually pretty decent. Uh, it's like a road mic. It's a road co mic. It's it's something that I generally use for my podcast, and it produces good sound quality. Uh, I am in a car right now, though. I'm commuting. Uh, pretty decent drive uh, for the next ten weeks. Uh, a bit about my you know personal life. You guys know I'm a grad student in uh, physical therapy. Uh, I'm getting my doctorate in physical therapy. Uh, which which involves a fair bit of schooling. I'm, I'm actually wrapping up my seventh year. This is I'm done this May. That's when I'm graduating. Super excited for that. But but long story short, you know, like with any medical profession, there's a certain amount of, of hands-on experience you need. That amounts to uh, internships, uh, clinicals, whatever you want to call it. Uh, my clinical for the next ten weeks, beginning today, just so happens to be. Uh, 80 plus miles away from my house. Uh, so it's like an hour and a half plus commute, which is why I'm taking advantage of this commute time to record a podcast. Uh, so th- the audio quality is not going to be great for every single podcast over the next uh, 10 weeks. Um, I'll shout over my car's noise. I'll use post-production software or whatever you want to call it to to try and filter out some of that noise and make it a little bit more listen listenable. Uh, but, but yeah, and that's where we're at. I'm not... Look, it's it's three hours plus that I'm taking up each day, plus eight plus hours I'm going to be there. Uh, three plus hours to commute, eight plus hours being there. Um, I got a wife. I got two kids. I'm not going to take the time each day to record in a more quiet environment. 
and something that's not a moving vehicle every single day. Uh, Got to find out where my priorities are. So, um, you know, with that being said, this is a, this is a good opportunity. This is a good, uh, I think, a learning experience for me. But I certainly would appreciate every one of your um, uh, prayers for those of you that, that uh, know my same God, same God as I do. But uh, words of encouragement and whatnot, you know, this is uh, stressful. You know, can I say that? Can be transparent enough? Of course I can. This is my podcast. This is stressful for me. Not so much driving. Uh, I'm used to driving uh, in my previous internship I you know would drive up and down on the weekends between my place and, and closer to the Twin Cities I, I live in Duluth Minnesota guys uh, you know I, I usually I'm used to half an hour commute you know driving doesn't bother me that much uh, but I could I do if I'm being honest get stressed about this type of stuff uh, because it's so much time away from my family it puts a lot of pressure a lot of stress I think on my wife um, not that she can't handle it uh, but I certainly like to be there for her. I like to be there with my daughters. Um, and and that, that creates some stress for me. You know, it's early mornings. Um, and, 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 and again, waking up as early is one thing. But, you know, my, my bedtime isn't always the earliest either. And so, you know, I, I could use your guys' support, your uh, prayers, words of encouragement and whatnot in this time. That's just me being transparent. Come on, let's, let's lose this tough guy mentality. I mean, <laughs> I hope you guys are here for... For my uh, my podcast and, and my thoughts on that and whatnot, and certainly not my uh, my my fortitude, my my <laughs> tough guy persona or anything like that, because I don't I don't know where that would have even come from. But but thank you. I mean, you guys have been nothing but supporting support su- supporting yeah in the past uh, of my podcast of me and whatnot. So I, I thank you guys for that. Um, I'm going to try and continue on, on the pace I've been moving on, you know, five plus podcasts a week. So, so I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Stay tuned for tomorrow's, hopefully shifting gears back to monetary policy and, and the economy and, and precious metals. Uh, and, and hopefully not too, hopefully we don't have an update on Iran, uh, further escalation, but, but we'll see. That's all subject to change. As always, I'd like to thank every single one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast and God bless.